Part One, Chapter Sixteen of Life and Lillian Gish. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Carolyn Lilliard. Life and Lillian Gish by Albert Bigelow Payne. Part One, Chapter Sixteen. It sounds like heaven. Lillian's school days were over. Just when she left Shawnee is not certain. She thinks she did not wait for the end of the term. She had finished the last page of her botany book and believed she could struggle along without any more mathematics. Her mother in Springfield was working very hard. She could help. And so the days of childhood had slipped by and were gone. If we have taken a good many pages to tell of them, it is because most of the romance of life lies in its beginnings. Mrs. Gish was truly working hard, but happily. Her employer, his health damaged by overwork, had turned over his comfortable home for her use and left Springfield for an indefinite period. Lillian remembers that her mother had taken up the rugs and laid down papers for them to walk on. To Nell a porch with a large swing big enough for four also a barn and a touring car they said we could use it if we could get someone to drive it but mother said we would do fifty dollars worth of damage to it the first time out if you were here i believe i could make you get fat because mother sends out a quart of cream every day and all the ice cream we can eat is she really writing about springfield it sounds like heaven Nothing like that had ever happened to Lillian and Dorothy before. Ten cents worth of ice cream, two kinds, chocolate and vanilla, to stir into mashed potatoes and spread on lady fingers. Their entire luncheon. Had they really ever been as frugal as that? The glory of having all the ice cream one could eat dimmed a little. Lillian went into the store and the hours were long. To Nell she wrote, I started this this morning, but had to stop. You see, dear, I have to be here from seven in the morning until nine at night and eleven on Saturday night. Yes, I pray for you every night before I go to bed, and for Tom also. And then, at the end of autumn, Nell and Tom were married. In December, Lillian wrote, Dear brother and sister, I am so glad you are so happy. How beautiful to have your heart's desire and to know that you will always have it. My hours are shorter now, from nine to six. Then I take long walks and talk to myself. Sometimes I pretend that you, Nell, are with me, and we have our heart talks once more. Then I wake up. I am lonesome or homesick. She was not very well, not equal to the long hours. That terrible ravage of typhoid had told on her. By the first of the year, she was in Massillon again, always a haven in any stress. She busied herself with the housekeeping, added to her knowledge of cookery. I must get dressed now and make my bread down. St. Cecilia making bread, and neat. Even for a saint, to her aunt it seemed that she spent most of her spare time pressing her clothes. Also, there were parties. I had the club Wednesday eve. The girls seemed to enjoy themselves and stayed until 10.30, which was verging on dissipation. There were dances, too. 
especially the Mason's Washington's birthday ball, an incident of which is still remembered in Massillon. Aunt Emily writes, Among the guests was a man, David Atwater by name. He must have been seventy-five at least. During the evening, somebody suggested that he dance the minuet. He said he would be glad to do it if they could find a partner for him. No one seemed to be able to dance it but Lillian. We often speak of it. It was a lovely sight to see this old man, courtly and handsome, with gray hair, and the slender, beautiful young girl with golden hair, perfect manner, and bright, youthful apparel, dancing the stately minuet. We called it Winter and Spring. Dorothy was at a girls' boarding school in Alderson, West Virginia. Lillian to Nell in May. I expect to leave here the 20th for Springfield, and then Mother and I will go to Alderson, then the three of us will proceed to Baltimore, thence to New York. Then it depends upon the wind. Upon the wind! Again the weaver who sits at the loom of circumstance may have been slightly amused, may have reflected that this being the year 1912, a tall, large-nosed man in a moving-picture studio on 14th Street, New York, would have something to say in the matter. Apparently would seem to direct not only pictures, but numerous human destinies. End of Part 1, Chapter 16